Well, it's time for us to begin uh, tonight. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for this occasion, this opportunity to study your word, to grow and to learn and to, to understand you better and more completely, to have a deeper love for you. And we thank you for your strength that you give to us. And we thank you, Lord God, for feeding us, for you promised to feed your children. You said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they should be satisfied. We ask, Lord God, that you will fill us up. Please continue to be with us, help us, guide us, guard us, lead us, and direct us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee, if it be thy will. Amen. We have a new Pat, if you haven't noticed tonight. Um, Pat wasn't feeling well. We're going to Mark chapter 1. We're uh, still working um, on the devotion of Christ. And, and some of this, it, none, none of the scriptures overlap, but the idea overlaps in a way that where, because we're talking about his, we started out with his devotion to, um, to God. He knew who he was to be devoted to. And then his devotion to his prayer. And now we're going to the devotion to his mission, right? He was mission-minded, mission-driven. So Mark chapter 1 is where we're going uh, tonight. Mission-driven. And it wasn't a mission that had, from a human perspective, a happy ending. It wasn't one of those, you know, hoorah, we're going to get to the end and we've done great and, um, you, know, it's, you know, this is great for us. It was, it was this is horrible. It ends horribly um, for Jesus, great for everyone else, but horribly for him. And then you could say from the God perspective, great for him, but from the human perspective. To stick to this mission took a lot of focus, uh, energy, and concentration. Right? And that, that's very important. And so think about living your life under pressure like this. You're going to go through... Uh, a tremendous uh, difficulty in life or tremendous difficulties in life. And you got to stay the course, right? And when people say things to you like, I love you and I'm with you till the end, you know they're not telling you the truth. Right? And when the Pharisees are in front of you and they're saying, we just want to know who you are, you know they're being deceitful. And yet you have to keep your mind focused on the mission. And the people who... Uh, who seemingly um, were, were for you, turn against you. And you already know this in advance. And you got to keep the course or stay the course without sin, without retaliation. So that's Jesus. And he lived his life that way. We pick up in verse 9 of Mark chapter 1. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening, and the Spirit like a dove was descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. So, Mark gives us a little more information that 
while he was in the wilderness, he was being tempted. Now, is Mark saying that he only went through the three temptations that we know of? I don't know if that's what Mark is saying. I think that, that the text is telling us he was being tempted in many ways. However, there were three in, in particular that were brought out. We, we read in Luke and also in Matthew. Um, but the, regardless, he was tempted in all points as we, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We see that in Matthew. We see that in Luke. But imagine fasting for 40 days. And I, I just wonder, and I was thinking to myself, like, there are all these wild beasts, right, clean animals that are before him. And, and he was hungry. Obviously, up to the, the 40th day, tells us he was, he was hungry. And then Satan says, turn these stones into bread. But I wonder how many times he was tempted to, to eat some of the food, kill and eat, kill and eat. It was legal. It was lawful. But he did not because he needed to fast to prepare himself for what was to come and also for whatever it was that was going on in his life while in the wilderness at that time. Turn over to John chapter 3. And that was the beginning of his ministry. And, and throughout the rest of this ministry, just think about everything that we're going to read about. He had to maintain his attitude or controlled his attitude so that he would never sin, right? John 3 and verse 14. And as Moses was lifted up, or as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So you know what's coming. You have a, you have a clear understanding. Mark chapter 8, please. You have a clear understanding of what's coming. But you're going to live your life with, with, uh, with no sin. And that means you have to control your emotions, right? control desire, and stay a step ahead of the temptations. Think about the focus that it took for Jesus to stay committed to his mission. Mark 8 and verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So think about what's on his mind. Have you ever had something on your mind that was troubling and, you know, like, you know, someone, maybe you know, there's just someone, there's people, there's whatever, situations. And, and on your mind, you, you're trying to remind yourself but I gotta, I gotta forgive them. I have to, and you know, you keep telling, you keep talking to yourself. I gotta forgive them. I gotta, I, I have to work through this. I must, and you know, it be, sometimes it saturates our minds, you know, and our minds start playing tricks on us or, and different things like that when there's evil out there in front of us. Think about what Jesus was going through and yet he stayed the course. He stayed committed and dedicated to this mission. Although he himself says in, in this text, in, Mark 8 and verse 31, that he must suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And they're going to kill him. But he's going to rise again. But where is that, that motivating thing in there that says, oh yeah, but this is going to work. This is great. They're going to kill me. As a man. Where is it? That that thing that says in all of this 
that I'm going through, it's worth it because these people are worth it. It isn't there, is it? It just isn't there. It's strictly based on his love as God for the Godhead and for God so loved the world. That's how much love he had. Everything he did was motivated by love. And that's what, that's what covers a multitude of sins, right? Proverbs 10, 13, I believe it says, love covers a multitude of sins. That's what makes and helps Jesus to stay fixated and focused in devotion to this, this terrible mission that was a wonderful mission that only he could accomplish. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let's look at verse 27. John 12 and verse 27. I'm just focusing on the death for just a moment because when you think about completing a mission or a task, usually there's a reward at the end. And it's a good reward, right? From a man perspective, this is not a good reward. From the God perspective, this is the perfect reward to bring salvation to a lost world. John 12 verse 27. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. And I want you to, I want you to contrast that in your mind, right, to what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to read that in a moment. It just shows you that as, as humans, Jesus went through what we go through, that moment of strength, and then that moment of vulnerability, you know, that Okay, I got this, and God's helping me. I'm going to make it. I'm a, I'll be all right. But then that moment of, ah, do I really want to go through with this? I need to go through this. Jesus had to participate in self-talk like we do, right? And, and his prayers, I want to talk uh, more about his prayer, the fact that uh, God only spoke to Jesus like three times, right, audibly, that, that we have recorded in the text. Which means he had to deal with prayer like we do. You pray and you just know God heard you, but you have to wait. But he says, verse 27, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came, therefore, a voice out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The multitude, therefore, who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. So God speaks to him and, and, and gives him this, this answer immediately, right? I've glorified it. I'll glorify it again. Verse 30, Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for yours or for your sake. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the rule of this world shall be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the the earth, I will draw all men to myself. So now I'm getting a glimpse of part of this motivation. What did Jesus recognize uh, within his ministry? That he was fighting a war against Satan. Sometimes I forget that, you know. My own, own inward pressures and, you know, the world, but... You know, when we lose sight of to whom it is we're fighting a war against, 
we turn in the wrong direction in our anger. Right? We, we eat and backbite and devour each other. How many times you see in the Lord's church where the Lord's church, it, it backbites and devours itself. It eats itself from, it's like a viper, right? A viper, a viper, you know, the, I guess it lays its eggs. From what I read, I don't know if it's, I assume it's true. And, uh, as the, the, the actual babies, whatever baby snakes are called, um, eat them with their way out. And they kill their mother in the process. And that's what we do. <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, we, we eat each other up. And it's hard enough, church, with the fact that, you know, God has, has commissioned us as his children to stay away from the world, you know, to be, to realize that we're separate, right? We, when we're in the world, we're trying to be, be good Christians and set an example and, and do the right thing and honor God when we're in the midst of the world and evangelize, try to bring people to Christ. And then you come in here and then we fight each other too, right? And the church is split so many times because it, it eats itself up from the inside out. What Jesus recognizes as he is fighting this good fight of faith that I'm fighting against Satan, right? I'm fighting against Satan for this hour, for this reason I came because my battle is against the devil and he's going to win this battle. So there's that inward motivation that we, that we see. It's not necessarily people, um, and, and it's, it's not, you know, with the man's side, but it, it's the, the man's side, the God's side of, I'm going to win this battle against my enemy, and the enemy is Satan. And Satan is trying to kill our children, right? And Satan is trying to put a stranglehold on all of us, isn't he? I mean, he's right there waiting. He's waiting for the opportunity, right, uh, to devour, to destroy us. Peter says, uh, that Satan is, uh, first Peter 5 verse 8, uh, be, be alert. The devil is about, prowling about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, he's, he's, he's waiting to pounce on us. And, and in the Greek, um, is a, yeah, the Greek, the Greek word thought is zaton taina katapia. And, and, did you, did you just translate? <laughs> I want to see if he did that. Uh, and it's, but, it, but, the reason I'm bringing that out is because it means to crunch. So it's like hearing the, you ever heard a lion or a tiger? I mean, I guess any animal maybe. Crunch, it crunched bones. You know, like hyena, how they crunch it. And he's, that's what Satan is waiting to do. He's, 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 he's crouching and he wants to pounce on us and crunch us. Right? Devour us. And that's kind of, you think about it, wow. But that's how grotesque he is. So, so our battle, our war is against Satan and, and not against each other, right? Ephesians 6 is not against flesh and blood, but rather against, you know, the world forces, right? Evil force, the wickedness is all over the place. Turn to Matthew, please, chapter, chapter 20. Jesus had to find that inward motivation, as we do, to steer clear of sin, to stand opposed to evil, uh, and the temptations that would come his way, knowing his destiny, right? Knowing, knowing the plan that uh, was in the mind of the Godhead uh, before he came to the earth. But when you just knowing something isn't enough to motivate us. I mean, we know the end. What is the end? We win. Right? We got it. That's pretty. But but where's the motivation to make us hang in there? Right? Stay the course. To never give up. To never give up. To never quit. To not stop. When we find ourselves sinning, what does John tell us? 
1 John 1, to confess our sins and God is faithful to forgive us, right? To live our lives the best that we can, to try to live it perfectly. And when we find ourselves uh, in error, turn to God and God will, God will forgive us if we repent and confess our faults. We have to stay the course. What is that inward motivation that causes us to stay the course? It's different for all of us, right? But you have to find, I have to find that, that reason to stay with God. I know the end game. The end game is we win. We never walk away from Jesus. We win, right? Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17. And as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took 12 disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. You talk about standing in the face of hypocrisy? These guys are going to condemn me to death? Really? Yeah, those are the ones. Those those are the ones that are going to condemn you for this inward motivation of we have to save our nation and our country. It's all about us, right? We want to save our nation. And so in order to save our nation, we're going to give up the Messiah. What What wickedness and evil. And they're the religious people. Does it not shock you today when religious people act worse than the world? See it all the time, especially now, right? What's going on with us, church? Right? What what happened to them? What were they doing? They were seeking after self. But Jesus did not seek after self. He stayed focused and committed to the mission, right? To live it without sin. That takes a lot of inward uh, weaponry, if you will, to know yourself. That's important, isn't it? To know yourself is, is one of the ways that we gain the victory over Satan. That, but that takes humility because when you, when you get to know yourself, you don't always like what you see in the mirror, right? I mean, you know, all of us kind of wear makeup, you know, right? Kind of paint it up, make it look a little better. Uh, yeah, well, um, to know yourself, to look in the mirror and say, okay, I, you know, here I am. Here's the raw me. Oh, I need Jesus. <laughs> oh, how I need Jesus. But but that's the beginning of the victorious uh, inward man, the battle, to be honest with self. Jesus continued, Luke, please, chapter 22, in, in his work, uh, knowing that, that he could fall, knowing that Jesus could sin. He knew that. And if Jesus had sinned, the whole world would be lost, from Adam to the last man on the earth, right? None of us could be saved. No one could be saved. It's by the blood of Jesus that we're saved. By all, all humanity is saved by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10 tells us that. It tells us that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. No one could be saved without Jesus. And earlier he said, he said, you know, should I call to my father? You know, and tell him, remove this hour from me. For this is the reason I came. But then you catch him in that, in that human vulnerable state in verse 39. And I think this is very important. If you're talking to someone who's really struggling in their lives, right, spiritually speaking, they're really struggling, take them over and have them compare what Jesus said in his ministry at this moment where he's really strong. Things are going, going well in his mind. Whatever's, 
But then go to that human side, and you see the vulnerability of Jesus, and yet, and yet if you just give it to God, he'll give you what you need to continue on. You see, and that's what we've got to always remember to do, right? That in that hour, in that moment of frustration and, uh, and struggle, learn to give it to God. But you've got to practice that in good times, because it's harder to do it in bad times, right? It's harder to do it when I've already made my mind up to get revenge. <laughs> it's kind of hard, right? I've already made my mind up. I know what I'm going to do. Well, it's kind of hard to give it to God then. Learn how to turn situations and people and struggles or whatever over to God uh, throughout your life. So here Jesus is going to turn it over to God. In verse 39 of uh, Luke 22, And he came out uh, and proceeded as it was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he had arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. Remember a moment ago, should I call on my Father? Right? Now the angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. Now, they were sleeping from sorrow because they had never seen Jesus like this, right? This was, this was tough. This was a situation that was, um, that was difficult. You know, here Jesus is not Jesus. I mean, he was Jesus, but, you know, they got to see the man Jesus. All this time he's strong and he's always there and you just, you just see his positive, uh, affirmations and his character and, and you rely on him and you trust him and he's your leader and you're in love with him and you're like, thank you, Jesus. And now Jesus is showing us a state of vulnerability, difficulty, right, in life where, you know, he's at that fork. He's at that crossroad where, where he has to, to make this decision to move forward according to the will of the Father. And when people say to you, oh, I'm so depressed and I don't know what to do, I don't know what, take them, take them to their knees, right? You pray for them, right? If they're, if they're not Christians, if they're Christians, pray with them, right? Take them to their knees and, and get down there with them and say, we got to give this to the Father. Because if you notice in the text, the Bible says that the angels, in verse 43, I think it is, the angels came and they began to strengthen him. And so God, angels being ministering spirits, right? Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, they, you know, God helps us in whatever way God sees fit to give us that strength and that energy and that, and that passion to move on. And when you give it to God and you just, you trust Him, then you'll have the strength to keep going, right? Not my strength. Remember when God said to Gideon, he says, go in this your strength? You know, that, well, I don't have any strength, right? Um, verse 46, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so maybe there's a part of cluelessness on their end as well, but definitely sorrow. They were struggling at, at this hour with Jesus, but not like Jesus was, not really being aware of what exactly was going on. But Jesus was, was devoted to this, this mission. And what was the mission? What was the, the ultimate end game? We know the end game for Jesus. He would die. He would rise. He would suffer and die. He would rise. He would accomplish the will of the Godhead from the days of eternity. God made the plan known. Hid it from angels. Angels longed to look into what it is that God was going to do. 
And the question, what is in man that makes God love us so much? And he was going to, to die for us. And that was the whole point that he was always willing and ready to seek and save the lost. Right? Luke 19.10. To seek and save the lost. And I want you to think about about Second uh, Peter for just a moment with me. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 9. Because... It's one of those, it's that passage of Scripture that is, uh, is, it, it's mind-boggling in one way. It's, it's one of those, it's the, one of those passages, passages along with Ezekiel where, where God's just not gonna have His way. Can you imagine that? You know, like you, you look back in the book of, uh, um, Genesis and you look at, at Peter and they made God wait, you know, and then God sent the, the flood and they just, people wouldn't repent and, he went down to Sodom, if you will. The angels go down and the people wouldn't repent. And Nineveh repented the first time, but not the second time. And Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't repent. And he's out there eating for seven seasons. And then he's brought back in Jerusalem. Israel wouldn't repent. And, you know, some would repent. And this, this constant thing where we're making God wait because our individual, may I say the word or use the word stubborn hearts, <laughs> our individual stubborn hearts is killing us. Our, our stubborn hearts are killing us, or is killing us. And, and yet, God's not going to have his way, because here it is in verse 9, where it says in Second Peter 3, in verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness or slackness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And it's sad, but it's true, God is not going to have his way on this one. Everybody's not, they're not going to repent. Even many members of the church are not going to repent. You know, you become a Christian, but you still have to, we have to continue to repent, right? Confessing our faults to each other and to God. But God's just not, he's just not going to have his way. Think about Jesus on the earth, right? With his mission. And he's like, but, but here I am, I'm Yahweh, I'm standing right in front of you, I'm trying to give you eternal life, and I don't want you to perish, I want you to live, and don't you see I mean, the sincerity and the compassion in his heart as he was teaching, and yet they wanted nothing to do with him. Right? Look at Ezekiel uh, chapter 33. They wanted, they wanted nothing to do with him, and yet, yet God is pleading with us even today. He's pleading with us to repent. If repentance is necessary in our hearts to turn our lives around to God, and yet, and yet, right? And and that's what that's what provokes the the preacher to bring the sermons eventually called the Isle of Shame. <laughs> Nobody wants to come down and repent. He's always worried about what everybody else is going to think. You can't be a Christian and worry about what everybody else is going to think can't do it. You can't, you can't serve both gods, one or the other, right? We'll get there. God is not going to have his way. Sad. So why did Jesus come to the earth? You know, I mean, he came to the earth. Think about the frustration in your heart where you're going, okay, all right, so uh, enter by the narrow gate, right? Only few are going to enter by the gate, and then many are going to go through the broad way. Why am I even here? Just for the few. Thank you, God. Ezekiel 33 and verse, and verse 10. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you have spoken, saying, 
Surely our transgression and our sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? Say to them as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. What did that tell us, brother? Yeah, there are wicked people who die, right? It, it's, you, know, you know what it is now. Now, now all you know, funerals, or everybody goes to heaven, and you know, it's, it's a celebration of life, and this is great and wonderful. No, it's not. Not in the case of the majority. You know what I begged the church in Soldaten? I begged them. I said, please don't make me preach your funeral if you're living an ungodly life. Please don't make me do that. What a terrible thing to make your preacher preach a sermon for you and you lived an ungodly life, a funeral sermon. What a terrible thing, right? Live your lives for Jesus. Love God. Surrender. And God says, I don't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He goes on to say, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Uh, Why then would you die, O house? Of Israel, and so again, God's just not not going to have His way, and yet Jesus, Jesus was willing to die if just one person, if just one person were going to be saved. God's willing to die for that one person. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? That just for one person, you know, He tells us that in Luke. You know, if if one, He says, "I got the ninety-nine, and they're all right. I'm good. I'm going to get the one." Thank you, God. Isn't God amazing? Let's be that one, right? Let's be that two. Let's be that hundred, that that thousand, that million. Let's be let's be the, let's be that reason. Let's rejoice in what God has done for us, and let's remind ourselves continually that we can and we will. We just we need each other, right? You know, pat each other on the back. You know, get back out there and fight Satan tomorrow, guys. You'll be fine. Go on back out there. We'll see you on Sunday, and we're going to regroup and we're going to encourage each other again, and then we're going to go back out there and do what? We're going to fight Satan some more. And that's why we got to come back Sunday night because, you know, Satan, come on, son, give us a break. No, sin doesn't take a temptation, uh, break, a vacation. Temptation doesn't give up, right, even on Sunday, right? And so oh, we come back Sunday night and say, give me some more strength. i got to go back out there on Monday, actually the rest of the evening, tonight, and then Monday and Tuesday, and Wednesday's a long way off when you're having a hard time, isn't it? It's a long journey, Right? So you get your double strength on, on Sunday. Thank you, God, for that. And then you come back on Wednesday and get your, your midweek fill-up and then get ready for Sunday. Get ready for it because here it comes. Right? Thank you, God. Right? Worship. First John chapter 4. Jesus was committed to saving us. And sadly... Here's what we know to be true. And so many people fight against the will of God. God's will is not for us to perish in wickedness and evil. God's will is for every man to be saved. That's what God wants. 1 John 4 and verse 10. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. I think this is a very powerful passage in that sometimes we live our lives as if we loved God first. Right? You know, kind of God kind of owes us a little bit. Because, I, you know, I did these three things that were good this week. And so, 
It's, it's never that way. We only love God because God first loved us. When we get to that humble state of mind, and we can admit that and submit to that, because I want you to think about something for just a moment, uh, in all honesty and truth. If uh, We're going to go to John chapter 17. If, if there were no reward, if, God's, if the Bible says, you know, there's no heaven and, and there's no hell, okay? Um, there's no reward for doing good and being good. There's no punishment for being wicked and evil. There's no reward in this life. There's no reward in the afterlife. How many people would go to church? As we call it, right? How, how many people would come to this building every Wednesday and every Sunday to worship God? And Job was the opposite because Job said, hey, God gave and God took it away. Took it away. Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. He still worshiped God. How many of us would truly, how many of us are here out of that selfish motivation of, I want to get to heaven, and I don't want to be punished in hell. Versus that, you know, regardless of whether there's a reward or not, regardless of whether there's a heaven or a hell, God, God, is, God needs me. I, I, need I need to be there. Because I love God. I just want to be, I want to be good. I want to do good stuff. And I, mean, I wonder how many of us would be there, would be here. So the love for God, being, being at worship, the worship of God, uh, to study God's word, to, to, to dig into God's word, it takes a real, a real, a real strong inward look. Look itself and say, you know what? I owe God. Separate and apart from the punishment or the reward, I just simply owe God. Right? John 17 and verse 23. He stayed the mission to save the souls of humanity. The Bible says, I and them and thou and me, that they may be perfected in unity. That the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou didst love me. That's the one thing that should separate us from the world, isn't it? The unity. See, you know, that church, that church of Christ, I tell you what. Oh, they're not perfect, but I tell you what, they are one united people. Right? People love unity when they can see it. That's the one thing they ought to be able to see. Right? That's like the early church. The early church, the Romans thought these, these guys are like idolatrous and they're very, very fanatical about their idolatry. They, they really amazingly love each other in uh, kind of a way that none of us love each other. And they didn't understand. They met at night. They met in catacombs and, and they were united. They loved it. They would die for each other. Right? These, these people were amazing. So much so to where Constantine reversed that edict, right? He says, hey, we need these guys in our army. <laughs> These guys are committed. These guys are united. And it, it just turns the world upside down to see the, the power of, of unity. Jesus stayed the course 100%. He stayed devoted to saving us. He stayed devoted to his mission. He stayed dedicated, committed to the Father. And as a result of that, we benefit. So here's where the part comes in. We get to really rejoice because sadly enough, we benefit from the death of another. First Corinthians, please, chapter chapter six. We we benefit from the torture 
of our Savior. We benefit because God suffered. He forgives us. And He still does to this day. And in verse 9, there's this, this list of those, those sins, right? That we, we think about. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, nor infamous, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Can't make it being like that. Right? Just can't make it being like that. And, and a scary, scary word there, kind of hard word, that uh, effeminate, that word is kind of tough because you, you read it, the, the, the translation of the word is like soft. So it's almost the same word for homosexual because homosexual, the, the word is, you know, when they say to you, well, the word homosexual is not found many times in the Bible. Well, it is. It's the idea of being soft, right? And so... This effeminate word is like soft, meaning living a cushy life, you know, a life of luxury, a life of pleasure. It's a soft life, life without without challenges. You know, Jesus says, count the cost before you make a move. If you're going to come to Christ, make sure you count the cost first because it could cost you your life. You go, yeah, I want to live for Jesus. And, and But on the other end, you see the emperor of Rome and all the Roman leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and et cetera, and they're, and they're living these soft cushy lives. There are no challenges in their lives. You know, it doesn't you just you know, kill whomever you wish, etc., etc. And sometimes I think, sometimes I think that because we are Americans we're getting kind of soft. Right? Because we don't have the challenges when you go to a foreign country, a third world country. We don't have. I go to my closet and well, I may not tell a lie. I don't pick my clothes up. My wife does. So <laughs> we go to her closet, and there's more than one. There's more than one outfit in there, right? And, then, and we wake up in the morning, and we we choose what we're going to eat for breakfast, and lunch, and dinner, and snack, and whatever else, right? And, and we 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 choose which vehicle we're going to drive. And and we, we there are a lot of things that we get to choose. In third world countries, they they don't don't allow our lives to become feminine to become so soft and filled with luxury that we forget, right? That we forget how great God is. Remember the proverb, uh, he says, God, please bless me, help me not to be poor because then I might steal. And help me not to become rich because then I might profane your name. You know, the idea of, don't let me get so soft, Lord God, that I forget you. And he also said, forget and forgetting my God. And don't let me be poor to where I just start, I, I really, I do things I ought not do to get ahead in life. Let's make sure that our lives are not filled so much with luxury where we forget to suffer just a little bit. You know, got to suffer a little bit. You know, got to suffer a little bit financially. And what I mean by that, I know you're saying, well, that's crazy. And what I mean by that is help somebody, right? <laughs> help people. We have brethren in the, in the world who are struggling. Help them out a little bit. Reach out a little bit, right? Instead of reaching inward, reach outward a little bit. Help somebody. That's what God calls us to do as his children. These folks are stuck in 
a, a life of self. But Jesus, the power of Jesus, caused these folks to have a change of heart. And I, and I just want to say that's where, thank God, where we, God's people are. We, we lived our lives away from God, but at some point, thank God, we turned back. Or we turned to the Lord because Jesus made everything right again. In verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. <laughs> Reading this and going, wow, that was me. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. You, me, I was washed, right, through the waters of baptism. Thank you, God. And he set me apart. He sanctified, right, all of us. He set us apart from the world, took us out of the world, right, transferred us, right, translated, Colossians chapter 1, us out of the world into his marvelous kingdom, right, and he justified us. Satan would say, oh no, that guy right there has sinned, and God justified us. And we know how to justify, right? But God does it the best, right, because he's always right. And he justified us, and he took our sins away. And how do we live our lives in thanksgiving to him for that? And then he gave us something. He gave us something in Romans 5, real quickly. Um, he gave us something that the world does not have. He gave us hope. Right? Through this justification, he gave us hope. And so you keep fighting the good fight of faith. You keep wrestling with the devil. You stay strong. You stay pure. And when you find yourself sinning, turn it around. Repent, confess, and let God justify you, set you apart again, right? Put you back in a right relationship with our God. Let me read this. Verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we have this clear conscience, right? We have this clear conscience, having been justified by God. Verse 2. Through whom... We have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within us, within our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, who is given to us. And so, don't let go of your hope right, in Christ Jesus Brother, we're going to make it. If you just stick with the Lord, you cannot lose. Jesus did all that for us. So stay true and stay faithful. And if you need help in any way, we can pray with you, pray for you. If you're online, communicate with us. If you need to come forward, come forward. Don't let Satan hold you back if you've got to make things right. If you've got to go call someone on the phone as soon as you leave the building, go use the office phone and call them up and say, I'm sorry, I blew it, forgive me. Make it right. And then get on your knees and pray to God. The lesson is yours. Thank you very much for your time this evening. God bless each and every one of you.